Uh, how's it going, Sophie? It's going pretty well. How about you? Uh, I'm good. I'm all ready to record here. I've got a cup of coffee, a glass of water, a hat, scarf, <laughs> headphones, and um, and my Star Wars blanket. Wow. Well, you are ready. I'm assuming it's the uh, old Star Wars, not the new Star Wars, because you have like snotty things to say about the new Star Wars. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's a new blanket, but it's a it's a Return of the Jedi blanket. Yeah. It's not your blanket from when you were like five. Nope. Nope. I just I just won it at a Yankee swap a few weeks ago. This is season one, episode four, Tech versus Tech, uh, where Sophie and I settle once and for all whether or not technology is is good. Or bad. Very, very bad. Do you need to say whether or not it's good or bad? Isn't that whether or not it's good? Isn't that sort of cover it? Wow, so pedantic. I'm just asking. <laughs> that, was, that was an honest question. Was it? Almost. Okay. Yeah, so um, Sophie thinks technology is bad. I assume, or that's that's the um, that's the view that I'm going to assign her, and and she can argue about that later. Uh, I thought it was whether I hated it or loved it. Well, you hate it. I do. <laughs> you hate it, and you think it's bad, <laughs> right? Yeah, you do. And and I I see three reasons why you why you hate technology, and I'm I'm gonna um, I'm gonna describe your views on the topic. Starting with with the most plausible to least plausible, and when I say most plausible, I don't mean like the view is most plausible. I mean it's like most plausible that that's a view that you have. Got it. Uh, so first off, uh, well, actually, before we wait, are we get, going most to least? Most plausible to least plausible. Okay. Yeah. But I'm ready. I, 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 just before that, let's can we just talk like real quick what we're talking about when we say technology? Sure. I'm thinking mostly internet-enabled digital technology like Great. laptops and cell phones, but also software that runs on those kinds of things. Yep. Um, I guess I could be convinced to include a broader spectrum, but I think those no, are the, I think those are the I think things that good. people mostly interact with. So I think that's what we're talking about. Okay, perfect. That that makes sense for me. Not like a backhoe or something. Right. Or, or a... Um... Telegraph pole. Or, or like a, a loom, like a mechanical loom. Yeah. Right. That w- right. Mm-hmm. Right. I would okay. put that more in the technique category than the technology ca- category, but that doesn't matter. No. Mm. Okay. Uh, so first up, I'm, I'm going to say that you hate, you, you hate technology because it's distracting. Mm. Uh, you're easily distracted. You have the, <laughs> the attention span of a cat. And, <laughs> and so it's, it's the really... most plausible one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's so it's really important for you that you don't divide your attention with uh with things in your pocket that go beep and bloop or uh or or things that show you words that might be interesting or that might uh activate your emotions. So it's really important that uh that you insulate yourself from those things uh and and technology is very distracting for you. Um Second, second view is that you, as a historian, you have a very romantic view of the past. <laughs> so you can see I, I, that is, it is getting less, um, <laughs> less plausible, isn't it? But that's just to say, and, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm stating this in like a, a kind of an obnoxious way, but I, I do think that you, like when you, when you talk about history, sometimes you get really excited about it. And I do wonder if there's like a part of you that that does have like a little bit of of romanticism about um olden times and and uh old ways of life and I know we've we've touched on that a little bit in our in our historical fiction uh segment and one of the things you know we talked about was like how things were really bad for say um women in just about all all um former times but but I do wonder if there's... In present times. In, pre- in present times, sure, sure. Um, yeah, but I do wonder if there's something there. And then number three, and, and relatedly, um, I'm, I'm assigning to you... Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that you have sort of an attachment to declinist narratives. So, <laughs> and this is just, just an overall view that things get worse over time. Um, is that the same thing as a romantic view of the past? Maybe, maybe, but I don't, you know, hmm. uh, maybe it is, but, but maybe, maybe it's a, just a, like a little bit of a different emphasis, but I, I think, 
or or I wonder if if uh, there's a part of you that's just always looking for stories about how the world is getting worse. Um, so those are those are my those are my guesses as to why you hate technology. Now, uh, I think there's sort of like the the uh, other question there would be like whether you hate technology. Um, but I I'm just sort of assuming that you do, and I, I don't I don't really want to argue that point. So tell me why I'm wrong. This is fascinating. First of all, you are wrong. But second of all, uh, this is really fascinating. And I'm really impressed that you got through that whole thing without using the word Luddite. I wanted to so bad. Well, maybe you'll have a chance to later. Uh, First of all, let me clarify one thing. My attention span is that of a rabbit, not Not of a a cat. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Good point. Um, I'm also really interested to know that you think of me as someone who is attached to declension narratives because I think I tend to be more optimistic than many people, which is just really... It's really interesting to me. I would love to sort of like, you know, muck around in that for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think we ought to. Um, but what's interesting to me is uh, you, uh, perhaps I am more of a control freak than you think I am. Hmm. That's probably true. Because I'm much less concerned about myself than I am about other people when it comes to technology. Yes, I don't oh. like what my laptop has done for me and my attention span. I, I really don't like that. I don't like the way that the internet has changed I mean, quite, I mean, I think my mind and, and its capacity to maybe, maybe I should say brain, but, but in its capacity to sort of focus, but I'm actually much more concerned about what it's done to the broader society. And I'll tell you a little story, which is that I was once picking up a pizza with my father and he ran in to get the pizza and I waited in the car. And this was like probably 10 years ago. And I saw people walking around and they were all looking at the palm of their hand. They were just walking around with their head bent in that like kind of terrible way and look and they were obviously looking at their phones and I realized that I was waiting for it to go away I was waiting for that moment where people were walking around with their heads bent at that weird angle just looking at their phones and not looking at the beautiful sunset I was waiting for it to go away and I realized it will never go away it's not going away this is your life now Hmm. Um, and that's and I didn't even have a cell phone at that point so it's sort of about my place in the world with other people, which is probably snotty. But as someone who teaches and has to be in charge of, you know, a room full of 20-year-olds, this does have an impact on me maybe more than other people. Um, but what I would say is not so – I mean, the, the attention span thing, yeah. But uh, – and I forget the middle thing. So there's the declension narrative. There's the attention Romanticism. span. Oh, yeah. Maybe. That's a different story. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a second. The past. I'm writing it down. The past. Yeah. Um, but I think the, thi- the the problem is that there's a mismatch between the things I value and the things that I think get um, elevated to a higher, I don't know, like a, a higher priority in a world, the world that we live in, where technology right. is very central and very, I mean, I, I think is... Uh, often seen as sort of like an unmitigated good. Um, And the things that I value, I made a little list of them, which include imagination, presence, stillness, focus, the development of ideas or projects or relationships over big chunks of time, solitude, and interiority. And I think these things are threatened by the internet and by digital technology. And that's probably the main reason I really don't like it. Mm. Um, as, as for the, well, let's get to the past a little bit later, but I I think the other problem is that I really don't like how much money it costs. And I don't like the idea that institutions, and again, that's, I mean, I'm part of an, uh, you know, part of an institution spending money on tech that doesn't work. It's wasteful. And, you know, there's this sort of idea that like, oh, we're going to get this new system and it'll, it'll improve everybody's lives and it'll make education better. But then it fails, and we've spent all this money on it, and it just drives me batty. Yeah, I mean, I can just speak to that real briefly. Like, when institutions introduce new technological solutions, in my experience, they're not trying to solve a problem for uh, practitioners. They're trying to solve a problem for administrators. I think that's really true. And I I say that as as someone who works in the the healthcare system and has seen a lot of technology products introduced over the years. But it causes problems. I mean, so I'll give you an example, which is um, just that. Uh, so, so you know, because you've you've been to school, uh, student evaluations are a part of the way that we 
do things. And, you know, it used to be done on these little Scantron sheets. You fill in the bubbles and you write your comments uh, about how you thought the class was going and or had gone. And these are really important, actually, it turns out, for for faculty. We get about they're, – they're like a serious chunk es- of our – Especially untenured faculty. Exactly. And so um, there's sort of two ways this used to happen. Like they always would get filled out by, by the students, you know, in pencil or pen. And, you know, either the either they would go to somebody – and I had this job one summer. I was this person who sort of like crunches all the – you know, crunches the numbers and, and, and types it up as a kind of little digest. Or you just get them in a stack and you're like, whoops, uh, too bad I, you know, can tell the handwriting who this is. Um, and you just get them in a stack and then you kind of like can collate them and, and learn about what, you know, the students thought. So the institution that I'm now part of went to a, an online system and 30% of my students actually did it, which Mm. in a small class is like four people. As opposed to, it used to be like almost anybody, everyone, because, because you would give out the piece of paper, you would read the little thing that says like, this can't hurt your grade. I'm not going to see it until grades are posted. It's anonymous. You go out of the room. You say, come get me when you're done. I mean, people would just do it even if they didn't necessarily like feel passionate that, you know, they had 10 minutes to do it. Now they don't do it. And the administration still puts a lot of weight on student evaluations and it's still part of everybody's evaluation process. And we still say, oh, we care what the students think, but a third, I mean, 30%. Well, no, Sophie, that makes sense. We should probably get rid of the internet then <laughs> because of that. Can I, I just, I just want to tell you a quick story. When, when I was in college, I remember one of my classes, the professor kind of threw them on the table at the end of the, at the end of the class and said something like, well, I guess they want, they think it's important that I ask you all to do this, but honestly, they can't touch me. So <laughs> write whatever you want. I remember that our at our college actually it was a point of pride. There's a place at the on the, at the bottom of the evaluation where you could sign, and you could either cut it off and like you know it was like you would sign and then you would say whether or not you wanted to go hole into the file or whether you wanted to cut that part off. And it was like a oh, point yeah. of pride that you would sign, like you would sign and you'd be like, I am me. I am this human that was in this class, and I am not afraid of you. I'm going to tell you what I think worked and didn't which I just think is interesting. And it has nothing to do with technology. It just has to do with the weird institution that we both went to school yeah. at. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, it doesn't mean I think that the, in, I mean, I would, if the, if I woke up one day and the internet was gone, I, I, I think my feelings would be mixed, uh, but not devastation. <laughs> devastation would not be part of it necessarily. Um, but, but I don't think it needs to like disappear. It's just that, uh, I don't like the way that we're so, I don't like the, the, the the high value that's attached to it, like it's as if everything that's technological is good and it's an improvement. And this just isn't the case. It's just not true. And, you know, I don't like things that are not true. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense to me that there there are costs associated with technological, quote unquote, progress. Um, and we don't always pay attention to those costs, especially in this in this moment where, uh, you know. Um, Silicon Valley is full of billionaires and yeah. a lot of people making their fortunes doing well, that's my other, that's my other goofy point, little actually. things on the internet. Yeah, I mean, and I would say that like part, part of my deep suspicion or dismay or like I don't really even know what emotion to assign it, but one of the things that gets me nervous about our reliance on or a celebration of technology is that um, so much of our lives, so much of our internal world as well as our social world is now mediated through these products that are created by a bunch of by a very specific bunch of people that i'm not so sure i like very much like personally like you don't yeah. want to well, hang I mean, out I don't, with them I, well i i know a few but i i now hang out with them but but like you know I, and i think it's interesting because in a certain sort of like sector of the population there's a lot well pretty big sector now i guess but there's a lot of like anchor at this that this thing that's symbolized by wall street you know it's like wall street is terrible it's doing all the stuff to our lives and our culture and our economy but i feel like there is a similar like synecdoche to be discussed about silicon valley and the idea that like so much of what we do i mean what we're doing right now um you know was created by a person who you know has very different ways of going about the world than I do. And yet I'm letting this person into my living room, into my brain. I don't know how I feel about that. 
Um, let's get more specific because I'm I'm not sure whether or not I agree with you. Because okay, I'll I give you I'll give you a good yeah, example. I'm not sure what you mean by letting the person into your brain. Well, so I'll give you so I'll 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 say that there's a book I really really like called The Distraction Addiction. Have you ever heard of this book? It's really no. neat. It's okay. by a guy named um, Alex Sujung. Kim Pang, who is an historian of science and technology, but it's, it's a popular book. It's like meant for lay readers, but he's really interesting. And he basically like goes and talks to all different kinds of people about technology of all kinds, including like just basic tools. Um, and it, it's, I'm not explaining it super well, but it's a wonderful book. And I think you actually would really like it. And one of the reasons that you might like it is that he talks about um, people who meditate and, and in fact, like specifically Buddhist monks who don't have the same kind of addiction to the internet that the rest of us might, or the rest of us do. It's really quite interesting. But one of the things he taught, one of the things he does is he goes and talks to this researcher who studies, um, the narratives that like tech developers, particularly those who are very successful, tell about themselves, particularly about their childhood. And what she finds is that they have a particular narrative, which is like, I was non-compliant kid. I didn't like school. I was a loner. I was sort of lost in my own self. I didn't have any direction until one day I sat down with a computer and depending on their age, you know, I either, I took it apart physically and sort of started to play around or it was like, I looked at some software and I started to code and that's when I found myself and that's when I became a person and that's when I could connect with others and I got creative and excited. And that's what I want computers to be like for other people. And that this researcher anyway says that that's how, um, Mo- that's how the interface between the user and the product is supposed to feel like you're just messing around in there and then suddenly you figure it out and you have this aha moment and it's beautiful which is interesting first of all this is why like my mother hates working on her computer because she has to keep trying different things she's like why doesn't this one thing work it always worked before and it's like oh go in a different way and try it this way and she's like this is so foreign to her she hates mm-hmm. it but also what this researcher found is that this is a completely fabricated narrative uh, narrative. Most of these people as kids had a parent or two parents who were either engineers or designers or computer people themselves, uh, or who had a really uh, important, serious teacher in their life that helped them. Um, and that in fact, like it's this, it's totally made up. It's this like idea of what you're supposed to be like and what your relationship is supposed to be to computers is supposed to be like, and it's, it, it doesn't have any basis in reality. So, so that, so, so here we all are living in this world that's constructed by these people who have an an idea about themselves that is, um, you know, they, they have, they have an idea of what is good, the kind of relationship to the kind of person to be the kind of relationship to technology to have that is good, but it's not, it's not real. I don't like that. Okay. That was an amazing sound. Thank you. You had a really good one last episode. Mm-hmm. You had you, this weird little squeal. I squeaked. You know, I squeaked because because you said that World War One, World War Two was played out, and yeah. like, I just found that like so offensive. I didn't even know what to do, so I squealed. Well, just to clarify, I didn't mean that. Like, there's nothing more to say about <laughs> World War Two. Just that there have been a lot of movies in set during world yeah, war and II. i don't think and you actually that wasn't your line that was patty jenkins the director of Florida yeah i mean it wasn't line. like a direct quotation oh no. but specifically just to clarify on that specifically rewind to last episode <laughs> um captain <laughs> That's america almost the sound that i made <laughs> captain america the first avenger is set during world war ii so you can't set a wonder woman movie during world war ii because it's Why? like well because it's like oh we captain america already did this you know is wonder woman like 15 years older than captain america and she would be like the wrong age. What? It doesn't have anything to do with like chronology, does it? No, no, no. Separate worlds. Captain okay. America's Marvel, Wonder Woman's DC. <laughs> okay. But just, just like, like the, the, right, like the studio doesn't want to be seen as like copying Captain America too much. So they go World War One instead of World War Two. Um, and you accuse me of romanticizing the past. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, okay. Whatever. That's an indignant sound. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. So, I mean, this, this is an interesting idea. Like, like to, to what extent should we let our personal antipathy toward um, obnoxious Silicon Valley tech bros affect um, our overall 
feelings or evaluation of the the value of the internet and internet-enabled devices? I guess, or to what extent should we let... Wait, what did you say? What kind of tech bros? Uh, Arrogant? Obnoxious. Obnoxious. yeah. Like mediate our lives and our relationships with other people. Well, let's let's back up because they're they're not directly mediating our lives. Like they're they're creating tools that mediate our lives, and and I'm sure to some extent those tools reflect the the values and priorities of those people. But they also sort of end up taking on their own lives. You know, as as you know, like um, you know, like uh, uh, Facebook in a really important way. Uh, uh, mm, substantiates one of Mark Zuckerberg's values, which is he doesn't really value privacy. Right, right. He doesn't think it's important, and so Facebook is always pushing that. But right. in lots of other ways, you know, Facebook has grown and changed and moved in different directions, you know, and things that, that I think probably don't directly have anything to do with Mark Zuckerberg's values or upbringing, but they're just based on, you know what's effective, what causes people to use Facebook more and blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, but, there's, the, but there's I think, an aesthetic piece too. I mean, obviously the world looks like if you're looking at your screen, the majority of the time, then your world looks like whatever the designer who works for Mark Zuckerberg wants it to look like. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, as someone who's interested in aesthetics and art and the way things feel and look, that's kind of significant. Well, that makes sense. But anyway, back to your point. What was it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, obnoxious tech bros. Oh, yeah. yeah just like. Um, like you don't think that I should dislike technology because I dislike those people. Well, I'm questioning that. And I would say I don't. I don't think that. I think that. I don't think one is the cause of the other. Yeah. And let me just say like. Like I. I am not a big fan of Facebook. And part of that is aesthetic. Like yeah, I, yeah. I open up the app and I'm like. Ugh, this yeah. looks gross. Everything yeah. about this just looks gross and I don't yeah. want to look at it. Um, and you know, I, I'm a big Twitter user, but I don't use the first party Twitter apps because they're, they're ugly and gross. I, you mm-hmm, know, I use mm-hmm. Tweetbot, which is like a nicely designed app. Um, so, you know, I get what you're saying about the aesthetics. Yeah. I mean, so, but I actually, I, I actually think interestingly, you know, I, I, I credit Apple with this to some extent. I think, I think the technology industry has actually done a lot to, promote the appreciation of good design and good aesthetics in the broader population well a certain type of i mean i think they are good i would totally agree with you that they're good but they also are like a very particular type of good aesthetic sure yeah yeah yeah. and, and it's not an aesthetic that's going to be appealing to everyone and well, it's but not it's homogenizing good. yeah but i also yeah. think that it just has has helped people um just think about design and aesthetics who who otherwise wouldn't have in in introduce people to the idea of like the value of good design. Um, that's a little bit. Maybe, of a, maybe that could be a stretch, but, but, yeah. but maybe so. I mean, but it's a little bit of a side point. Anyway. Yeah. Can we go back to the past? Cause I mean, I don't, I don't we can, think we can't, I... uh, Sophie, and that's, that's why you're <laughs> always going to be sad. Uh, I actually am really not sad about that. Um, yeah. really, really not, <laughs> but like really, um, but I, and I don't think I romanticize the past. At least I hope I don't. I do get excited and enthusiastic about things that happened in the past. Okay. Um, that seems like an important distinction. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I like the past for a lot of reasons. I like studying the past for a lot of reasons. and But one of them is that I think it seems to me it's more possible to come to some good conclusions and some good analyses of the past more than is possible, it seems to me, in the present. So studying current events is really hard and messy, and I think we're not going to really know what's what for another, like, you know, 20 to 50 years. Um, That's but, really but interesting. But with the past, we've already got those 50 years maybe under our belt, so we've got, we've got the chance to kind of sort things so out. So what's, what's the sweet spot? Because you get to things that happened right. too long ago, and you're like, well, that was a long time ago. I don't know what was going on. I don't know, maybe like a thousand years or something. A thousand a, years? Do you I mean, think that's like where we know the, we like we know most about stuff that was happening in the year one thousand? No, I think that's when it starts to fall apart. But like, like, <laughs> I, I really don't know. It depends on what the like sources 50, are. Fifty years ago, maybe. It depends. A hundred years ago. Depends on what the sources are. It depends on what your questions are, and depends on what your expertise is. Boring answer. Yeah, sorry. Boring. So, but about the past, about the past. I, you know, and we. I, I'm gonna like recap a little something that I said when we were talking yesterday, mm. not when we were recording ourselves. But, but I do think that for me as an historian, one thing that's like a, a unique challenge or on my bad days, like a frustration and like, ah, oh, why is that it's, 
it gets harder and harder for my students to understand anything that happened more than 15 years ago. Um, the more my students become digital natives, by which I mean like the younger they 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 stay the same age, but they were born less time ago. Does that make mm, sense? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they aren't the students I have now aren't quite real true digital natives yet, but the students I'll have in maybe five years will have been. And every person who lived before, say, like 15, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, depending on how you want to slice and dice it, um, didn't have a thing in their hand that was like supercomputer that so, could like look at look at anything they wanted on the Internet. I mean, every other person from like Julius Caesar to your grandmother. And it's it, I think it's getting harder and harder for students to connect to the past because their lives are so different because of this one thing. And can I can I just say we're we're recording this episode uh, in January of 2017, which is which happens to be the 10 year anniversary of the introduction of the iPhone. Which I, I oh, think perfect. Is, yeah. Okay, great, excellent. So All right, so it's ten years. Yeah, we're we're but, optimizing this for a maximum SEO. I don't even know what that means. Search engine optimization. Oh man, like okay. relevant. We're producing relevant content in um to to put out there on the internet awesome good for us but so i mean i think it gets harder and harder for students to understand so first of all one thing that can happen is that the past just seems completely uh we we like we describe it as alterity in in the historical profession it's so different how can it possibly how could they possibly understand these people who didn't even have computers but the other thing that happens is the opposite which is sort of like um they have a hard time imagining, really imagining what it would be like not to have these things. It's, it's so part of them um, that, that it gets really difficult. Um, and I think actually there's, so, it's so, there's something to be said sort of for like something in the middle. So for example, the, the example I always give is like, okay, email versus, and, I'm, and texting is a separate thing, but so email versus um, snail mail, as we call it now. Snail mail is really slow right now. Um, you can put something in the mail with a stamp on it and it'll take five days to the, get to the next town. That didn't used to be the case. Um, when Karl Marx lived in London, the mail came twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. He and Engels, who lived in Manchester, would write to each other twice a day four letters going back between uh london and manchester per day um that's really different than the way that we experience paper mail now but not so different necessarily than the way that we experience electronic communication so there are these like kind of ways to analogize but it can be really hard for people to get there okay i mean you're a historian though it's your it's your job to make people understand the the past it's my job to help people understand the past yeah. I can't make them. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could. I, I really don't think I understand could. the past. God understand damn it. it right now. <laughs> that's not I how understanding be... works. Yeah, no, that's not how. <laughs> not how. So I mean, practice. It's clearly, you're not convinced. Well, um, I mean, I can just say, like, yeah, sure. I, I see, like, uh, major technological discontinuities make it harder for people who grow up uh, after the discontinuity from. To, to understand people before, but that seems like a value neutral thing. Like that's just a thing that happens. Like I'm sure people who grew up, you know, post industrial revolution, like their his- history professors were like, these people don't understand pre-industrial society the way they probably, I do. They probably didn't though, because that's not even really how history was like being studied or taught. At okay. That time. But I mean, right? I so think, I mean, there's more of a value on trying to understand the somewhat recent. Oh, it, that doesn't matter. That's a total tangent. It's a tangent. Never mind. Go ahead. But but the point is just that, like, sure, you know, when when any sort of technological or societal change happens, it, the people who who spend their whole lives after the change are going to have. It's going to make it harder for them to understand life before the change. But that doesn't tell you anything one way or the other about whether or not the change is good or bad. Yeah, I, that's true. But. I still don't like it. <laughs> I mean, I, there's just something about There's something that really just like rubs me the wrong way. I don't like, I was sitting, you know, like, oh, it makes me so angry and it makes me want to yell at people. Like now when we're I'm walking, getting, now we're getting when I'm it. walking around and there's like the most beautiful sunset or like a crazy cloud or there's the moon and people are just oh. walking and they're looking at their stupid phone and I want to shake them. I see, and it's say, not romanticism. It's, it's snobbery. Be in the world right now. No, it's not. Yeah, okay. It's not about the past. It's about the present. It's about yeah, being yeah, present. Yeah, it's, right. It's not. It's not romantic. It's 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 snobbery. It's no. Uh, it's it's being a control freak. But but don't you? I mean, sure. Being, but it's, it seems like it's sort of an aesthetic judgment about. I feel like people are missing their lives. Yeah, yeah. And it upsets me because I don't want to live in a society where people are missing their lives. So would the same thing apply to like watching TV? 
Well, you know, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I remember my mother, being a kid. my mother sure thought so when I was growing up. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. She'd always tell me I was going to rot mm-hmm. my brain. Right. And, and it was how, a like, drug. You know, she would tell me, TV is a drug. <laughs> Turn it off mm-hmm. and go outside and play. She would come home and, and check the TV to see if it was warm to see if we'd been watching oh TV. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't really watch. I mean, I watched some TV as a kid, and then I didn't watch any TV. So this is the other thing is that, like, I'll just say I didn't watch any TV from about 18 to about 28. I right. didn't have a television, and uh, the internet wasn't really showing you Wait, TV. Wait, when did we live way? together? Uh... Right about that time, I moved in. Oh, so that was to the right, house, that was, and right. there was a television. There was, and it was right. like what? And that was also the time when, like, suddenly you could get TV on the internet, like, pretty easily, and yeah. also legally, and all that kind of stuff. I um, mean, at that time for free. Right. So, um, so that so that was like a, and you know, I oh, man, I read a lot in those years. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful. And I would do projects and I would be bored. I haven't been bored in like 10 years. Um, you know, you sort of have this productive boredom where you're like, I'm bored. And then before you know it, you're doing a cool project. Mm-hmm. And this this loops up to my whole thing about how I don't have any hobbies. Um, <laughs> you know, when I want to do something, if I would sit just for like five more minutes, I might come up with something interesting to do. I might like draw or paint or something. But no, like I just go on the internet and bum around for a few minutes. And I hate that. I hate that. Mm-hmm. And I, But I don't seem to have very much control over it. And that's the other problem is that i feel like it is addictive i mean i think we know it's addictive um and that is depressing to me and you know i don't i don't like it i mean you may, honestly i'm gonna say you 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 raise some interesting points there and this idea of like just uh how are we spending our lives mm-hmm. you know it, what, what's the old union slogan eight hours to work eight hours to sleep eight hours for what yeah. you will right uh, and which doesn't really work anyway, but okay. Right. Cause you have to commute yeah. commuting time. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and it assumes that like someone is cooking your food for you. Well, right. Or if you want to eat what you will is cooking. Yeah. Right. right. But, but that's all right. I mean, maybe and that's cleaning, the case. So, you clean sure. Yeah, right, but the, but the right. point is like, like, um, right. There's a division that's like semi, some, somewhat equal that you sort of give up so much of your time to get back so much of your time for these other necessary things. Right. And, and, but if, if all of that sort of leisure time is taken up by reading about celebs on the internet yeah. or, or let me, let me not even say celebs. Cause I think that sort of muddies yeah, the issue. Yeah. It could be politics. Yeah. It, right. could be something, it could be something intellectually stimulating. That's like we would value, but it's yeah. still content. That's like you're consuming. I mean, I guess that's the other problem is that like, it's a kind of consumer model rather or, than a, you know, I don't know. Yeah, well, let's, let's say there's a certain passivity about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Maybe. I think that's right. And I think the other thing is like, so I, so I, was, I was playing with some children. And I spent some time with um, some really wonderful children who are just lovely and great. And if their mom is listening, I love them. Um, but, but I had a really interesting conversation with a five-year-old who has a really hard time sitting still and reading, especially even listening to a story. And she was talking about how her mind keeps thinking about her show and how she would like to be watching her show. And she doesn't like long books because they're too long and she wants them to be over already. And um, we talked about the idea that like, while I was reading to her, um, her mind would make pictures, right? Her imagination would fill in the pictures. I mean, there were, it was a picture book, but obviously it's a still picture. And she liked the show better because, you know, the pictures are always moving and there's sound. And I said, your imagination will do that for you. And she's an imaginative kid. I mean, she plays, she makes up games, but she, this was like a new concept to her that she could just imagine for herself. And to me, it was like, that was a sad moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And it's the same moment that I described to you recently about um, my students who I challenged to, uh, when they wanted to know the answer to something, instead of just picking up their phone and Googling it, just sit with a feeling of not knowing. And this was a historical uh, uh, experiment that I was having them to do to try and understand the, the way that romantics, um, not the kind that romanticized the past, although they did romanticize the past, um, right. but, but their philosophy and the way that they were thinking about the world, um, you know, I, I challenged my students. I said I would give them extra credit and they couldn't do it. And I asked them why. And they said, I couldn't sit. I was too anxious. I, I didn't like the feeling of sitting with not knowing. That to me is like a, a serious concern about the way that we all are like living. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And Maybe. it doesn't mean that technology, I mean, I'm not blaming, it's not like, oh, technology came and destroyed all our minds. I mean, obviously we're complicit and we have agency, but it makes me sad and I don't like it. I, I remember being, I mean, and maybe this is romantic about my own personal past that like, I remember being a kid and drawing or reading for hours and having this amazing focus and not being distracted. And I can't do that now. So I think some, I mean, 
I'm 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 hesitant to blame that just on technology though, because I think part of that is also just getting older. Like being like, a I think it's Yeah, I think it's just easier for young people to get absorbed in things. Well, they don't have as many responsibilities to worry about. Yeah, and it's just right? something about the way their minds work. I think I think maybe they're more prone I don't to I I don't know. I mean, I know. I know like you, you watch a little kid to their studio and they paint for like they'll paint for eight hours. Sure. Yeah. 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 But but like, you know, like you watch a kid like they'll they'll sit down and like watch a bug for an hour. Some kids, some kids will be like, I want to watch my show about cartoon bugs. That's true. They want to yeah. watch Bugs Life. <laughs> uh, so I feel like we're sort of like get, getting to time. But maybe maybe if we just we can continue some of this. But we'll just shift the focus to you. Yeah, well, I think I think we'll we'll come back to a lot of these themes again. All right. So, are you ready? Uh, I am all ready. All right, Amos, you love technology. You love it. You love it to start with because it's sleek and shiny and pretty. Mm-hmm. And I have this pet theory that technology is a form of aesthetics that gets coded masculine, so it's extra safe territory for appreciation. Uh, You love it because it at least appears to make tasks simpler and more efficient, even though I'd argue that's much more rarely the case than we might think. And because it breaks down big, thinky tasks into smaller units of busy work. You love it because technology is toys. Appreciating it can be fun and it's more socially acceptable than collecting 8-track players or geeking out about knitting patterns. But most of all, you love it because of its capacity to represent the new. Technology allows you to confirm this narrative of progress. Here we go. This This narrative of progress and improvement that life is getting at least materially better in smart and chic ways that you are very attached to. And more importantly, you love it for its explanatory abilities. Technology can be the reason things are different. If technology has changed and life has changed, it's easy to explain the latter via the former, just as you did in our discussion of poetry. It's an easy, one might even say a lazy, way of understanding change in the world. (laughs) Um, And it serves you well in that role. So you love it. Uh, That was was fascinating, and I think it included a lot of truth. Oh, excellent. Yeah. um, Here's here's where I think you're wrong, though. Um, Hit me. Specifically, if we're talking about internet-enabled devices and internet services... I I have been questioning my love lately. Oh, fascinating! Yeah, so let's let's stick a pin in that and come back to it. And I just want to respond a little bit to to some of the specifics of what you said because, like I said, I think there's a lot of truth there. I I do love the the sleekness and uh, of of well designed technology. I think that idea of of that aesthetic being coded as masculine is very interesting. Yeah, uh, and I definitely, I mean, personally, I like, I like designs that are that are clean and mm-hmm. simple and you know i remember um at some point when i was a teenager like i used to really like little knickknacks and trinkets mm. and, and i got, stopped i stopped at some point when i was a teenager I was like i was like just get this crap out of my life i don't <laughs> like it it's just sitting here collecting dust and making it harder for me to uh like keep my room from not being filled with dust um, and I just remember telling my family, like, I think it was my birthday or Christmas. I was like, I don't, I don't really care what you get me. Just don't get me anything that's just going to sit around. Wow. Like, don't, okay. get, don't get me anything that's just like cute and, or, or you think it's just like fun and interesting that I'm not going to be able to do anything with. And it's just going to collect dust. Um, so of course that year, my sister, I love you, Margaret bought me this giant, <laughs> uh, metal moose handle holder. <laughs> It was enormous. It probably weighed 15 pounds. And it had this, this round, it was like a, a silhouette of a moose made out of metal, but with no, like, no, I can picture it exactly. With a round glass thing in the middle that had a moose on the glass, and the hand, candle would go behind that and like shine through the moose in the glass moose and the metal moose. And I was just, I just like, I opened up, I was like, what the? F- I, I, oh, okay. <sighs> So she, anyway, yeah, she, so, she knew what you meant. Uh, I guess so. I was like, are you just doing this to mess with me? Like, yes. <laughs> she's trolling me. But she probably paid a lot <laughs> of money. She paid a lot of money word, to troll me with that. And but, the word troll hadn't even been invented yet. Yeah. But I mean, obviously. Trolls, all that's but. to say is that, like, technology gives me a place where, I, like, I can, uh, I can create the world that I wish my physical world was like. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Like, and still p- spend money on stuff. But not stuff that sits around. Virtual stuff. Exactly. And virtual yeah. stuff, you can line up to the pixel. 
uh, and no. it doesn't collect dust. It doesn't move around. So if I'm a snob, you're just like some kind of oh, I'm a snob. O- OCD as theater or something. I, you know, it's interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I, I certainly don't have OCD, and but maybe maybe I am a little bit of a snob. But I, I you know, I like things being. But well at least organized. you're not trying to control other people, which obviously is like the, the root of my problem. It's like <laughs> I want other people to behave in a particular way, and I want yeah. them to all behave like they're in a like they're in a 19th century kindergarten, and they're like, I love and, blocks. And part of it is that I don't. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's that's the, the the romantic attachment to the past. I'm talking about. It's, it's not <laughs> well, the past in general. Love a 19th it's century 19th kindergarten. century kindergartens. Yeah, that's my aesthetic. Mm. So, but, but you've been to my house. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. But but so uh, yeah, it's like like the the technology world is a, is a like, and I and I'm not actually good at organizing physical objects or physical yes, I spaces. Know. <laughs> right. No, just kidding. Well, I mean, you 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 saw my rooms at college when yeah. You know, my well, you had my... the messiest ha- roommate of like anyone Lo- who's at. Love you, Forrest. <laughs> uh, We're doing a shout out episode today. Yeah, but but it's it's so much easier and simpler in in digital world. And I think you know what you're saying about using technological tools to organize my thinking mm-hmm. and break things. Yep, totally true. Uh, I love my OmniFocus. Um, so all that's interesting. Uh, I love the way that Twitter lets me sit in on conversations between interesting people, you mm-hmm. know, there's like all these, all these writers and intellectuals and academics and yeah. And, and just journalists to, to my love of the past. That's what sitting in an archive does for me, except for those people are dead. <laughs> right. And, and they're, you know, they're talking about like whatever's going on that day. And I just like, it's, it's sort of like having a bunch of, uh, um, yeah, it's like having like a bunch of interesting smart friends who share all your interests and you get to listen Thanks to Thanks a bunch. <laughs> what about your real interesting smart friends who share all your interests? They're they're cool too, but I I can't um just sit there and listen to them chat while I'm at work and should be getting other things done. I see. Um hmm. you know, like they're they're not they're not I can't carry them around in my pocket with me. But you can. You actually can. I mean, we could have like a text thread with all our friends on it all the time. People, pe- people do that. People do do that. I've never been good at that. But, no. Um, yeah. And I, and I think in some ways, uh, well, that's a little bit of a t- – I'm going I'm to leave that alone. But um, So where's the part where I'm wrong? Because I didn't say it. I didn't say tell me why I'm wrong. I didn't even say our gimmick phrase. So – Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, you might not be. Wait, what? What did? Can you read your your provocation again? I forget the whole what, one. No, <laughs> just pick out the wrong parts. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. I forget what you said. That was like just straight up wrong. I'm sure something in there. Oh, probably. Was, oh, oh, the attachment to the new. I, yeah. I, I actually don't think that's. Um. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. I don't really think. Maybe. But you do have the you have the opposite of a romanticization of the past. Like you're pretty sure that the past was bullshit and terrible, yes. and we're definitely getting better. And well, I think we're I, definitely. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm. It depends on when in the past, right? We're talking about and where. Yeah, and for right. Whom? So, so I, I mean, I've got my own uh, uh, declinist or de- what you you say declension declension yeah declension narratives. I, I don't say declension because of. Um, because of grammar, it, it oh, confuses me. Right. But uh, like I've got my own uh, narratives of decline that um, we can get into at some point. So, but I don't. You're mostly sure that the decline is going to be in the future, though. The, it's weird. It's like oh, the it's past coming. was bad, it's and coming. the present is getting better. But then it's really the shit's going to hit the fan, which is a very weird way to think about <laughs> about so, temporality. But okay. Uh-huh. So, but but I think for me, it's it's like it's it's not so much that I think everything's always getting better. It's that I get annoyed with people who uh, always are squawking on about how technology is destroying the world. Um, Guilty. <laughs> Guilty is charged. But, yeah. Um, so so I, I think because I think so much of that narrative is based on like uh, a gauzy sepia tinted view of the past. Right. I see well, the past in color, don't worry. Yeah, but but like you'll hear people talk about like yeah. you know, how how everything's terrible and things are getting worse. And you know, I feel like I need to point out that 
um, you know, like globalization is a terrible thing. Globalization has, has, you know, ruined the American middle class. And so, okay, maybe it has, but guess what? You know, it lifted a billion people in China out of poverty. Um, I'm not going to say globalization is bad. Yeah. But, but that's, that's like the sort of argument you hear people, you hear people make. So, so like, uh, I feel like it's, it's more, it's not so much an attack, like an attachment to the new or an enthusiasm for the new. It's more of like, uh, me just being a little bit of a contrarian and and hearing a lot of, a lot of discussions about like how things are getting worse that seem to be based on a, on a not very good understanding of the way things were. Yes, I would agree with that 100%. And to be fair, like the same people who said the thing that made you mad uh, are playing Candy Crush on their phone and that makes me mad. Right. So we can, we can both, we can both hate them. These, these uh, (laughs) These unnamed masses. Yeah. Oh man. These unnamed people are the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but but let me talk a little bit about about why I'm starting to get nervous about technology. Oh, great! So let's see. How, what's a good way to get into this? Um, I really think we we are have not really in any way begun to see the full effects of. Um, of what the internet is is going to do to our lives and our culture. Like, I would I agree with you on we're, that. Yeah, we're, we're just getting started. Yeah, I, I I really think it's going to be something analogous to the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just getting started. And uh, maybe it's all going to be a good thing in the end. But I think there's going to be tremendous disruption in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, almost nothing is ever a good thing only a good thing in the end a few things in the world are only a bad thing in the end a few things that i can think of most things are mixed but yeah i would agree and i like what you said about it being sort of unknown we don't i think that's the thing it's like we really don't know and and the people who think they know uh scare me yeah right, right and people who think that a they know they can predict they can tell you what's good for you and then they can monetize it those people scare me the most yep yep so, you know, I think, I, you know, I was listening to a, uh, an episode of the Exponent podcast the other day with uh, Ben Thompson and James Allworth. It's, it's a good show if you're interested in sort of the business side of technology. Um, they were very, very smart guys. Um, and, and they were talking about this issue. And um, so the argument goes something like this. Uh, prior to the Internet, newspapers were... Uh, there, every city had one or two newspapers, and these newspapers um, had a local monopoly. Like if you were in New York, you had your – well, probably New York maybe had, had five, five or six newspapers yeah. or whatever. But let's say well, you're in – Well, and then all the, all the uh, foreign language newspapers. Yeah, so let's say you're in Cleveland. You've got you know, one or two okay, – you've better. got the Cleveland yeah. Plains dealer yeah. and you know, one or two uh, – maybe one smaller paper or something. I don't know. But the point is if you want the news in Cleveland – there's only one place to go. Um, and so that's a local monopoly. So newspapers were tremendously profitable. They made a ton of money and, um, and that was great. And then the internet came along and suddenly people in Cleveland can get uh, news from anywhere in the world. Um, and that makes things re- very difficult because if you can read uh, any newspaper in the world, you're going to want to read the best ones. So that's great news for the New York Times and the Washington Post and bad news for the Cleveland Plains dealer. Um, and... I mean, I agree with you uh, in all of this, except for, like, again, you're saying the way that people consume news changed and the primary reason is a technological region. And I'm yeah. just not sure that there ever is one. That's First indis- of all, historians get nervous when you're saying something changed. And I'm going to tell you the one thing that caused it to change. That's just almost never true. And the idea that it's always technology. How could that be the case? That just well, doesn't... who said it's always technology? Well, you? No, you, you, you said that I said that, <laughs> but I never so said two, that. You've now described two uh, processes of a change over time, both of which were fueled by, well, by you need, technology. Well, you need three to have a trend. Okay. We're only at two. But, I mean, we're specifically having a discussion about technology, so yeah, I'm talking yeah, yeah. about technology. No, I got you. I got gotcha, you. Gotcha. And I'm, I might think that it's always technology. I'm not sure. You might. I might. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, but but so, so that's the basic process where, where the, tech, tech, uh, the Internet – 
makes it so you can get the best of anything anywhere in the world. So that's great news for the people who make the best and bad news for people who make sort of middling products. But do you uh, think that's really true that people use the internet to get the best thing? That seems completely not let's true. Not, let's not say the best, but the thing that The thing most, that they want the most. Yeah, right, yeah. right. The, I think that's true. Yep. The bespoke thing that fits right into your little neurological tangle of weirdness that makes you like it the most. Right, right. And let's be honest, the New York Times has been tremendously successful in the internet age. It took them a few years to figure yeah, out how, yeah. but once they figured it out, they've been doing great. And not many newspapers have been. And, mm-hmm. and partly it's because the New York Times is, you know, maybe the best newspaper. Um, or, or, you know, people seem to think it is. Sure. Uh, right. They write good news. Yeah, right. So it, the Internet has also been great for niche publications um, that, that never would have been able to survive if they had to print stuff on um, paper and ship it out over the mail. They wouldn't have been able to sustain the, the scale that you need to make that work. Um, I feel like a butt is coming. Well, so so the the it's it's not a butt. It's a it's a what happens when this process like like the, the it mm-hmm. hit it hit publication um first because the internet is really really good at putting words on a screen for people to read, mm-hmm. which is really similar to what uh newspapers do. Um yeah. but you know, over time that process is going to happen in every area of life and commerce where where the internet is going to make it so uh location doesn't matter or or doesn't matter in the same way mm-hmm. and that's going to disintermediate a lot of uh a lot of institutions you know one one way to look at what's been happening in american politics lately is that um that political parties are becoming weaker and weaker because uh People and candidates are able to use the internet to engage directly with with voters and donors uh, in a way that used to be mediated by political parties. You used to have mm-hmm. to go to a party to get your message out and to get your uh, to get access to donors. And now, you know, Elizabeth Warren can raise millions of dollars on the internet, and uh, Donald Trump can tweet to uh, the world, and, and and they can they can do this stuff without political parties. Um, and, you know, I think there's just going to be tremendous institutional disruptions as more and more like we don't even understand all of the ways that institutions play mediating roles um, and how that holds society and political orders um, together. And yeah, stable. I would agree. And I as, mean, I as think... those things start to get chopped up by by the Internet, like, I don't know. I don't know what comes after that. I don't know how I don't know. I don't know what it looks like when 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 that process really hits political life. Right. So it's an atomizing, it's an atomization of an, an, an hyper individuation or, or something. Disintermediation. And, and it's, I mean, it's the same thing yeah. that I'm talking about when I'm saying, I wish we could all, I mean, cause ultimately what I'm really saying is we're all looking at the same sunset. Let's look at it. Let's look at it together. Um, which is a, an aesthetic and perhaps as you would say, gauzy way of thinking about social being, but it's not that different from what you're talking about in a, in a, in a political or state oriented way. And, yeah. and, and some of what, I mean, some of what I think is important to say is that it's not that people in the past, used to just have to go through these tiresome institutions and political parties to get their message out. It's that people used to voluntarily... Um, I mean, it doesn't mean you, you still had to associate that was not voluntary, but you could sort of make choices about what institutions or what parties you would be part of. And you weren't just using them to leverage your own message, which is, I think, is what some political candidates do now. But you were actually I mean, political parties. And again, I know more about Europe than the United States, but you would join so that you could influence and contribute, not just so that you could get whatever it was you wanted, but that you could be part of it. And I think that the, the, the feeling of being part, even though we talk about it all the time and we're like, I can be in China and you can be in Kansas and we're texting about how much we love each other or how much we both love this television show or whatever it is we're connecting about. That's not the same as sort of the daily fabric of being part of something. And I think that yeah, is right. a concern. And, and I guess I would, I would think of it this way, that, that when you uh, – how to put this – when you're actually associating with real people in the real world on the basis of 
I don't know, whatever, whatever it happens to be, but it's, it's sort of limited by geography um, so that you actually have to deal with, with uh, real people. Um, you're going to rub up against people in ways that are not super pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have to deal with people in these sort of. You have yeah. to have manners. I mean, you have to have, right, there has yeah. to be some kind of c- civility. Um, it doesn't mean that we all love each other, but it means that we know how to, to be with each other. I mean, and that's, again, I'm going down to the micro level, but that's the other thing that concerns me about walking into class. I mean, when I started teaching as a graduate student many, many years ago, or many years ago, maybe I shouldn't say many, many, um, I would come into the class and the students would talk to one another, even if they didn't know each other well. Now I come in and even, even when it's the end of the semester and students know each other and they've been talking to each other, you know, for an hour, three days a week for 15 weeks, they're on their phone silent. They're talking mm-hmm. to somebody else they'd rather talk to. Right, right. And, and, and where was I going with it? So, so, yeah, like if you're actually associating with real people, you're going to associate, the association is going to have like uncomfortable parts. And there's something fundamentally different about associating uh, just based on, on like your chosen, yeah, yeah. A, a particular affinity. Mm-hmm. And you associate on the basis of that affinity. And you have another affinity, so you go associate with other people on that basis. Um, yeah, there's something very atomizing about that. Yeah, and I mean, I study people who are, you know, in different countries or part of international organizations. You know, e- even in the 19th century, um, it doesn't mean that there weren't cosmopolitan types who would be friendly with people in lots of different places who did, uh, who did sort of say like, well, my affinity, my real belonging is to this international group and Mm -hmm. I'm not to my national or to my local, but nevertheless, you still have to like chat to the lady down the hall or to your cook, if you're that sort or to your, or to the person you buy your, you know, your pens and paper from, so you can write these letters to your uh, faraway friends. And I think we are able to not, it's not even that we're able to opt out of that so much. It's that we believe that we're able to opt out of it. And that seems like a weird kind of double conscious or double think that's not great. Right. And like you still have to, you know, go pay for your groceries, but you can be on the phone talking to the person you'd rather be interacting with and completely uh, miss any kind of like exchange of pleasantries with the person who's packing your food. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I see people do this. You yeah. 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 I'm this. just, I'm, I'm not sure that that's, gets at like what I think is important here, but it's definitely a thing that happens. I think it's that, I mean, I guess the connection I would make is that it, those are opportunities for people to practice the kinds of things that you want people to practice in larger political ways. And, and, and the opportunities to practice them even in neutral non-political ways are also being avoided. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, so then you don't, so then you, you know, when it comes to actually talking to your, uh, whatever uncle who has the diametrically opposed political view from you, you don't even know how to say, Hey, how are you? How was the weather? How's your drive? Yeah, maybe. Which I don't really necessarily care about that to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But, but I I do think. That's a classic example. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. uh, Maybe, maybe. But I, but I do think. I want to talk to that guy, but whatever. (laughs) I, I don't. I know I don't. I, I actually don't want to talk to that guy. But that's a separate question. He's your, separate he's your uncle. He's your uncle, Sophie. <laughs> I don't actually have an uncle who fits that description, but go I ahead. Uh, well, just, just to say that I, that I do think this sort of um, ability to choose um, interactions based on affinity uh, has a lot to do with, with increasing political polarization. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think increasing political polarization is, is one of the um great threats facing our society and it's it's mm-hmm. it's i feel weird i feel weird saying that because um cuz i in general i really hate for years i've really hated arguments about this sort of like hand wringing about uh civility and politics um i'm not worried about civility and politics i'm just worried about civility period yeah <laughs> like in general right but uh but i do think yeah i do think there's there's some really dangerous things going on uh, that because it's not with... about civility; it's about so- the social, right? right? It's about being able to be together in in, in like what in a meaning in any kind of way that that's that's not violent. Yeah, or you know what happens when when large segments of our um, polity view uh, partisans on the other side as more of a threat than as, as like the primary threat. Mm-hmm. that they're facing or, or more of a threat than outside forces. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, scary I mean, things start to happen at that point. Let's be fair and say that for a lot of people, finding people who are like them is pretty hard. And so yeah. the internet has made that easier and that's really special Absolutely. and valuable and important. But I think the other, but there's a, but the flip side, and, and that has to do with connection. I mean, of course, I'm going to put my own value spin on this, right? But that has to do with connection and um, uh, affirmation and relationships and even feeling loved, um, which, which people need. Um, but then there's the other side where it like can make such a safe space to be to be hateful and you talked about being on twitter and having the joy of kind of listening in to conversations by smart people who you're interested in but i think the internet also makes space to avoid being listened like there's a space where like you'll never be overheard and you can say all the crappiest things that you've wanted to say about those people Mm -hmm. and and that's really scary too and of course there's always been a sort of secrecy to hatred i think but um I don't know. I think I, I feel like the internet makes more space for it. No, I, I it does. And in, in this this you know um, this idea of of the internet allowing people to find their people, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Like I think you're right that there's something really great about that. And you know I think it's it's probably saved the lives of you know countless Many transgender people. people or, I you would know think what I mean? that's absolutely the case. Uh, but at the same time, you know it's it when it's when your your people are white nationalists and and you're finding them and you're like finally people who get it i would i would want you not to find them exactly and and (laughs) and when the white nationalists do start to find each other they they become much more powerful right and it's different when they find each other in a cafe or a bar where other people might come in and they might have to be confronted with wow that sounds really what you're saying is really crappy i really hate that um that's different from um from never being observed in a kind of secret uh, yeah. personalized space and where if, you're, si- you're actually you are sitting in a cafe but nobody knows to whom you're typing and if you're meeting in a cafe or bar the only other people who are going to meet you are people in your area and and mm-hmm. that's that's this function of the internet of, of like making geography Mm-hmm. Uh, less and less relevant. I mean, to be fair, in periods of time that I study, you know, th- this happened all the time. And there was this, there's actually a great book about sort of the ter- the way that territory and cities, um, particularly in Berlin, gets carved up by different kinds of political actors who are violent. And it is their pleasure to go out and pick bar brawls. Like they, they know which one the communist bar is and they go to it and they pick a fight and they punch each other and they kill each other and that's sure. not great either like i'm yeah, not no. saying like oh it would all be better if it was out in the open that's something that political that polarization to... predates the internet absolutely and i'm never going to be one of those people who says now that the hate's out in the open it, things are going to get better yeah, no, i think I the opposite is true yes. and we've talked about this yeah. but yeah i mean i think the internet does but so i mean what's interesting is that when we started we started off talking about devices and we've now ended up talking about the internet which i think is a kind of interesting well move do, we've made. i think devices like the reason they're so important is because they are the internet in your pocket yeah yep yep and i mean i will go back to just the sort of like practicality of like i like my notebook because it's also in my pocket uh but it's not to, it doesn't need the electricity or the ethernet or anything to work it just works you don't, and i feel you like don't plug your notebook into the, I, the ethernet i don't it's just paper and pencil mm-hmm. and it always works the yep. only thing that could ever happen to it is like literally the dog ate my homework or you like if you which used to be pen. such a ridiculous excuse right like i don't have it because the dog ate it now it's like my computer crashed i thought i sent it to you uh it got encoded wrong it's a blow you know it's like ridiculous the dog ate my hung- homework I would much prefer to live in that world. See, I do romanticize the past. You do. You do. <laughs> but not really. Yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, I wish I could tell you uh, more that you're wrong about me, but you were only a little bit wrong. And I, I think it, I think our positions are actually not as far apart as maybe you thought they were going to be going into I this episode. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And as you can tell, I am a, I'm a hater, but I'm not in a... Um, you know, abstainer. Right. 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 Like I, I, you actually, I, you just bought your first smartphone. I did. So <laughs> I like it. I yeah. like it a lot. That's great. It's I'll, better uh, than my crappy dumb phone. I'll right? show you it's how to download better. Twitter. Don't do it. I don't want to know. Um, let me live in bliss. Mm, <laughs> in the blissful darkness for one more day. One hey, I think more. we're kind of, um, out of time. We are out of time. So we're going to stop there. Um, did we have anything we need to follow up on from last episode that we didn't? I mean, I know I, I got that little bit there about uh, 
Wonder Woman and Captain America. Was there anything else we needed to touch on? Uh, yeah, the 1864, the war between Denmark and Prussia is sometimes called the the second Schleswig War. The second, not to be confused with the first Schleswig War. Yeah, and it was both Schleswig and Holstein that go to to Prussia and several other territories that go to Prussia at the end. Yep, they wanted those cows, so they took it. (laughs) And Uh, those Schleswigs. And I don't think I said anything wrong in the last episode or anything untrue. So You're perfect. Yep. You did perfect. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think this was a really interesting conversation. I'm glad we got to the bottom of this. Yeah, and and I'm I'm glad that I was able to trick you into having a discussion about politics. Um, so it's very tricksy. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, we can do that again sometime. Uh, so if you like the show, which I'm sure you do, rate and review us in iTunes. It's the best way to help. Uh, new people find the show. Uh, tell your friends about us, IRL or on the internet. Um, follow me on Twitter at Amos Worth. Follow the show at TMWIW Podcast. Uh, if you go to the website, it might be working. It's TMWIW.net. And there's a contact page. You can send us emails. You can uh, check out the show notes, uh, which has links to all the stuff we talk about. And uh, that's probably it. Yeah. And hey, if you're listening right now, look out the window. What does the clouds look like? I don't see any clouds. Is it's the just moon blue sky. there? Nope. And, you know, talk to your dog, hug a person who's really there. I hug my dog all the time. Yeah. I meant other people who are also listening. Oh, okay. Could do those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to... Get gonna, off the internet! If you're going to hug my dog, you should, you should ask first. And, and don't get off the internet until you uh, download this show and listen to it. <laughs> All right. Let's, next time. Yeah, next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.